Welcome to episode 28 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. First of all, John, welcome back. Tell me, what happened? Well, here we are on uh, Friday, August 27th, and it's my first full day back to work. The board of directors uh, passed a resolution on uh, Thursday, and uh, I I am back and uh, thrilled to be back. I've terribly missed doing the podcasts and writing the columns and uh, working with great staff who are delighted to, uh, to to have me back. Um, some of them had even reached out to the board of directors and said that uh, they wanted me back. So it's been a tough six weeks for for everybody. Uh, certainly it was it was a hard time for the staff who had been expecting that I'd be away for for two or three weeks. but fortunately that is behind us and I am uh, back to work and very happy about it. Okay, so we're glad to have you back, but we're not going to let you rest in your laurels here. The vaccine passport is no longer an issue under discussion. It's a reality. Actually, as you predicted six weeks ago, it is the issue. BC has brought one in. Ontario looks like it's going to fall. Alberta brought in a vaccine passport light. Quebec is activating theirs on September 1st. And on the campaign trail for the federal election, the Prime Minister has promised a swack of cash, uh, something like a billion dollars, to help out provinces that implement vaccine passports. So we know where they stand on this issue anyway. Uh, Let's start with Alberta. What do you make of this passport light, John? Well, coming from the same government that uh, said that there were no lockdowns in Alberta, as, uh, as Premier Kenny once actually asserted publicly, we've never had lockdowns. We just had these very, uh, very wise, cautious, specially tailored, uh, very subtle measures. Uh, we never had lockdowns in Alberta, claimed Mr. Kenny. And my response is, tell that to the mother, uh, the single mother who had to stay home and could not work because her kids were not allowed to go to school, right? Because we had the school closures in right, Alberta yeah. as as one example of a lockdown measure, which forced parents to to suddenly look after their kids at home, and and uh, that had a huge huge impact on people to be suddenly thrust into involuntarily homeschooling their own kids on short notice, uh, which was incredibly difficult for a lot of parents. Although I've heard the homeschooling movement has grown everywhere, <laughs> yeah. because parents realized that they could teach their kids everything on two or three hours a day. And there's a lot of parents like, hey, we don't need the kids in school from nine to three. They can learn everything they need to learn at home uh, over the in the time of, of two or three hours. Anyway, uh, so now we've got a convenient card that, according to the CTV News, Alberta is launching a convenient card with vaccination status not to be considered a vaccine passport. Well, that's ridiculous. Why do you need a card... You need a card to show to other people. And why do you need to show the card to other people? Because other people are demanding that they see it. And other people are discriminating against you and telling you that you cannot do certain things or you cannot go certain places unless you have the card. 
So the government here seems to be just facilitating a process where we can have shopping malls, movie theaters, children's sports clubs, adult sports clubs, bars, restaurants, churches, synagogues, mosques, mosques and temples, if they so choose. Anybody can start uh, discriminating against those individuals who do not wish to get themselves injected with an experimental substance that has not previously been, been tried on human beings. The unvaccinated are effectively already second-class citizens, and mm -hmm. this is going to get worse, I think, in the next few months, possibly years. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, and the scariest thing is that there is huge public support. There are people that publicly say that that the unvaccinated are vile scum or words to that effect, that these are just, you know, worthless people that, that should, in fact, be denied uh, all their civil rights, all their human rights. That's completely legitimate, entirely appropriate to deny civil liberties and human rights to the unvaccinated because the unvaccinated are terrible human beings, because they are all dangerous killers and they should be ostracized and they should stay home and... It wouldn't surprise me if there's even a contingent of, of the Canadian population that said that the unvaccinated should be forcibly vaccinated. I bet you that would get at least 10% support, if not 20 I, or 30%. You don't, really have, you don't have to speculate. Did you see the cover of the Toronto Star on Thursday, the 26th? No, I did not. It was Tell basically me. a bunch of people saying, well, the unvaccinated deserve to die. <laughs> it was It was really harsh stuff. And uh, in fact, there was another article appeared in uh, another publication that said uh, Toronto Star is being accused of hate speech for saying that people deserve to die. <laughs> yeah, that was. Well, right this is the kind of this is the kind of rhetoric that that it precedes atrocities. Yeah, uh, ideation. You had, you had the situation in uh, Rwanda around 1990. Uh, if you Google. Rwanda, I'm sure it would, you know, pop up quickly. But the they had the uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis were the two major tribes, yeah. and uh, there there have been conflicts there for a long time. The Belgians, when the Belgians were in charge, they had in a very clever and sinister fashion had played off the tribes against each other, and one of them was favored by the Belgians, and the other was not. But anyway. Uh, there was all this tension and hatred, and it resulted in this uh, out-and-out massacre where members of the one tribe just completely sought to crush, destroy, and kill members of the other tribe. And this is where, uh, when people start saying things like, you know, this group of people does not have a right to life, uh, that's that's scary. Well, let me tell you another aspect of that uh, Rwanda massacre, the... Uh the Belgians introduced a clever system whereby they cataloged everybody and they identified them all as Tutsis or Hutus. And that's what was used to identify people for the genocide. So there you go. Thank well, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to kill uh, an unidentified group within your midst. Uh, unless it's a visible or like a racial visible minority, then then it, it could work. If there are obvious uh, ethnic differences that, that are clearly visible, well, then you could, I suppose, the majority could exterminate the minority. But otherwise, you need documentation. 
And uh, well, they had both in Rwanda. To be to be perfectly honest, because of course the uh, the Hutus were tall, taller people from the north, and the Tutsis. I think that's the way it was. I could be wrong. Could have it backwards. But anyways, they were smaller people. But the thing is, they used the identification system to basically initiate. And then, 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 of course, once they're out in the field, it gets a little bit easier. Anyway, sorry, just we're getting kind of off topic there. It's not really off topic because I think that uh, you know, uh, I I don't I don't think that the I'm vaccinated right now in in late August 2021. I don't think the unvaccinated are in imminent danger of of getting assaulted or hurt. But the problem is that when you have a, a blatant, vicious discrimination against a minority, and when that is accepted by the general public, the problem isn't... I mean, there, there's one problem in terms of what's going on right now. It's just vicious, illegal, uh, unscientific. This is as scientific as discrimination against any other minority. I mean, there's just no scientific medical basis to it, and I'll get into that in a minute. So you have a present problem with uh, unfair, hurtful, oppressive discrimination against a, a minority. That's one problem. But then there's a future problem that what, once the first thing is accepted, once it's accepted that the minority is kind of subhuman, kind of an untermensch, subhuman, right. well, then it, it paves the way for potentially worse uh, things in the future where you could see, I, I, I could just see where people are, are saying, okay, the unvaccinated should be forcibly dragged out of their homes and injected. Mm-hmm. You know, people, this is what human nature is like. Once you legitimize discrimination against uh, a group. Right. And the science here is, is utterly lacking because there is no credible or persuasive scientific evidence to suggest that unvaccinated people are worse spreaders of the virus than the vaccinated. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's 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 the whole key. Now, yeah. in order in order for this in order for this discrimination to be justified in my view because, you know, there depending on what the facts are, it, it could be reasonable for the government to, you know, create distinctions and and impose restrictions on people. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying never, right? Okay. But I would say the criteria would be firstly that we're dealing with something like the Spanish flu of 1918 that's that's going to kill that's actually killing millions of people and actually shortening life expectancy of the population by a significant amount which neither covid nor its variants are doing. These uh, these are in the same range. They're much closer to the annual flu than they are to the Spanish flu of 1918. So first of all, we're not dealing with an unusually deadly killer that threatens all of society. What we're dealing with is something that threatens older people who are already uh, close to death with several serious health conditions. Anyway, so that would be the first prerequisite. So if we were dealing with a virus that actually had a serious impact on population life expectancy that was really shortening the lifespans of uh, everybody, well, okay, fine. Then that would be the first criterion. The second criterion that would have to be met would be that the unvaccinated are 
much, much different in terms of spreading the virus as opposed to the vaccinated. Right. And then the, another weird factor that, that doesn't make any sense is that the vaccine supposedly protects you from the, from the bad symptoms, right? So you can still get COVID, but right. you, the symptoms will not be as severe. This is the pretext. This is why governments are saying, oh, protect yourself, protect yourself, protect yourself, get the vaccine so that you get the vaccine. You don't have the severe symptoms. You are supposedly or you're less likely to die of COVID if you're vaccinated as opposed to the, the unvaccinated. But that begs the question, if the vaccine is truly as, as beneficial and protective as what governments say it is, if it's going to prevent you from dying, then why are you concerned about the unvaccinated Right? Why? Why be concerned? Yeah. You should no, no, say, "Hey, yeah, I got the vaccine. I'm safe. If you choose not to get it, so that, that that's another big issue regarding the science. But the, the two biggest issues, as I see it, is is one: we're not dealing with an unusually deadly killer that warrants uh, any of what we've seen in the last year and a half in terms of restrictions on our rights and freedoms. And then, secondly, there's no credible or persuasive scientific evidence to support the idea that unvaccinated people are worse spreaders than vaccinated people. Therefore, th there's no scientific or medical basis for any discriminatory measures against the unvaccinated, and this should remain purely a matter of personal choice. As the old slogan, which people seem to have forgotten, you know, my body, my choice, uh, which some would argue is misapplied on the wrong issue, but uh, for what it's whatever it's worth, that that slogan nobody seems to be uh, uh, citing that anymore. My body, my choice. Like I, as a human being, get to decide what gets injected into me or not. Well, that that seems to have gone by the wayside. Yes. Well, that's also. I mean, you're acknowledging that the whole argument is beyond science now. It's become fear based and emotion based. And so how do we make the argument when you're, you're doing that? You're, you're, you're relying on people's fears and uh, their emotions to guide them. You know, you basically can't persuade them with science. Well, these, I mean, man, vaccine passports, mandatory vaccinations are as scientific as lockdowns. Uh, there's just no science behind the lockdowns. If you look at a chart... Because uh, people say, well, you know, the reason why the COVID uh, didn't kill, did, ended up not as deadly as the Spanish flu was because of lockdowns. Well, that's simply not true. And we know it's not true because when you uh, create a chart, <coughs> excuse me, when you create a chart mapping out the different countries, provinces, states, and you look at the death rate per million, and you look at the severity of lockdown from, you know, no lockdowns at all to very mild lockdowns to moderate to severe to extreme. So when you look at a, the degree of lockdowns and you juxtapose it with the death rate per million, what you get is the countries, provinces and states are all over the place. So you get places that were locked down very heavily that still had high death rates, uh, places that were locked down very heavily that had low or lower death rates. But you also have jurisdictions not locked down that had high death rates and jurisdictions that were not locked down that had very low death rates. So there's no correlation whatsoever. So, so to say, to, for anybody to suggest that 
the COVID was not as deadly as the Spanish flu of 1918, only because of lockdowns and the lockdowns worked because apart from lockdowns, it would have been like the Spanish flu of 1918. That's false. Right. It's completely false because there's not even a correlation. Now, if there was a correlation, you would still have to establish causation because maybe the correlation is just coincidental, right? Right, yeah, correlation doesn't... But but there isn't even a correlation. There is no correlation between states, provinces, countries. The the severity of lockdowns versus the deaths per million, there's just no correlation whatsoever. So anybody who says that lockdowns have saved lives is saying something that's false. I'm not saying they're lying because lying is deliberate deception, and maybe they sincerely believe it, so they're not lying. But certainly it's a false statement to say that lockdowns save lives. There's just no evidence. The evidence says the opposite. Well, first of all, I'll point out that Denmark now, I don't know whether you saw this, Denmark is getting rid of its lockdowns, getting rid of all its uh, COVID protection things. As of October 1st, they're declaring their pandemic completely over. So there's another jurisdiction that we'll be able to look at. Yeah, but is Denmark putting in, are they putting in mandatory vaccines and no, instead? No, no, they're just chucking it all. They decided to follow Sweden. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so... There you go. So we'll know about that one. You know, another thing I wanted to point out, it seems to me because of what I'm seeing now in the Canadian press with, you know, the surveys, uh, now that they're bringing in the passport, they're doing surveys of businesses and talking to the Chamber of Commerce and this business association, and this business association. It, it's almost like, you know, you got a choice here, vaccine passports or lockdowns. What hurt your business more? Well, they don't put it like that, of course, you know, but lockdowns, they know hurt their business. and so they're seeing vaccine passports as maybe a way out like masks, you know, maybe they don't work, but if we go along with this, we'll keep in business. But, you know, it's interesting that that the big promise that the politicians have been making in recent months is that, you know, get, get the vaccine so we can all go back to normal. In fact, I'm keeping, there was a hard copy brochure by the Alberta government. And it would not surprise me if other provincial governments also had hard copy brochures, but there's this brochure that has all these photos, you know, happy people at a wedding and kids at a birthday party and friends uh, sitting around a restaurant table and people playing sports and a full stadium, uh, you know, sports fans watching their football game and and uh, all these wonderful pictures. And it's like, let's all get the vaccine. So please, we can all get back to normal. And I even know people that were anti-lockdown and didn't think, you know, recognize the fact that COVID is not the Spanish flu of 1918. They recognized that lockdowns were a completely unnecessary and wrongheaded response to this virus. And even those people, some of them got the shot. They just wanted to up the numbers to get up to the high numbers so we could go back to normal. But now what's happening uh, in British Columbia, mask wearing indoors is back. You got to have your mask. The uh, bans on, you can only have five people at a restaurant as my mother lives in BC. She was telling me this last night. Right. You know, out, outdoor gatherings limited to 50 people only, uh, limited number of people at a restaurant, mask wearing, social distancing, everything's coming back. Here in Alberta, the kids need to wear masks in schools, according to the Calgary uh, Public School Board, and I think the Calgary Catholic as well. I think there's some, uh, it's not province wide. Uh, or a friend of mine lives out in Cochrane, outside of Calgary, and, and their uh, school board, the kids do not have to wear masks. But here we are, 
these these poor, poor kids getting encouraged to get themselves injected with an experimental sub, uh, substance uh, in respect of a virus that doesn't threaten children, right? Your child's more likely or as likely to die of a lightning strike as they are to die of COVID. Nevertheless, kids getting injected in something which which may permanently harm their fertility. A friend of mine has a niece in Saskatchewan, 26 years old, young, healthy woman, was hiking and biking and sports and everything else, uh, got one, got the first dose of the vaccine and stopped menstruating at the age of 26. Too embarrassed to go to media, uh, was told by her parents, like, don't get the shot. Uh, there's a lot of negative health effects that people are not going to go to the media because most people are private. They don't want to talk about private things. Yeah. Uh, and, and they feel embarrassed. And uh, so this is very much uh, underreported. But, and we don't have informed consent. And that's a violation of the Nuremberg Code, uh, which emerged after the, the Nuremberg trial of the Nazi war criminals. Yeah, I would like to add to that something anecdotal as well. Uh, that is this idea that, you know, everybody in Canada is going along with this. I'm mentioning this as anecdotal because I have people in my life that, you know, have been on the opposite side of this issue of me, uh, from me, and they, you know, have gone along with everything. And I don't actually argue with these people, number one, because, you know, I'm the crazy uncle and I don't want to, you know, enhance that reputation. Number two, they're my bellwethers. You know, I, if I don't argue with them, then I know that what I have said hasn't persuaded them. They, they are being persuaded in a larger sense, since BC brought in its, uh, well, brought back in its measures, uh, there's a few people that I consider my bellwethers that have actually flipped over. They, this has just completely, what do you, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, well, call how, it deceitful, how deceitful and dishonest the politicians are. And how yes. the only, yeah, they, the they only just, science, the only science here is political science. Yeah, I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no real science because obviously somebody, somebody's not being honest and somebody's being unscientific. If they tell you in uh, March, April, May, June, they tell you that we, you know, as soon as we have seventy percent or eighty percent of the people getting vaccinated, well, then we, life will get back to normal. And now in British Columbia, uh, life is is not getting back to normal at all. And uh, by October, you will need your vaccine passport in BC to uh, shop, go to a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. So it's definitely this is blatant, vicious human rights violations and, and discrimination against an unpopular minority without a scientific basis. Right. Okay. Because the only argument that you could justify this, I mean, would we... You know, imagine this for a moment. Would, would we say that, uh, would we as Canadians accept a law that said that gay people or black people or East Indians uh, or, you know, people in wheelchairs, that they are not allowed into stores, uh, movie theaters, restaurants, uh, they cannot send their kids to school, they uh, have to be treated very differently if they want access to a hospital, they've got to kind of go in, go in the back door. You know, you're right. gonna have you're gonna have hospitals with kind of the back door for the unvaccinated, right? Uh, you don't well, actually, there's the a racial door. component to it down in the United States because I think vaccine hesitancy amongst the black population is something like seventy percent or something like this. And every time anybody mentions that, they of course 
put in the caveat, or not the caveat, but the uh, the footnote that they have a very good reason not to trust the government and the uh, public health officials because of past experiments uh, that have been uh, foisted on on the black population without their knowing it. So, you know, they're like I say that it's a racial racial. You have uh, examples component. of that. I think we covered that on a previous yeah, we did podcast with, uh, that these with, with, these uh, black these black men were yeah, subjected to a trials that went on from Tuskegee the 30s to the 70s. Syphilis. Yeah. Syphilis, yeah. They yeah, injecting people with syphilis without their informed consent and then, yeah. what, just seeing how it, how it played itself out? And- they didn't tell them they had syphilis. They just monitored them to see how wow. they progressed. Yeah, so, I mean, these things are well known amongst the black people and, uh, you know, so that's caused a lot of hesitancy down in the United States. So that means that has introduced a racial component to the vaccine passports. You know, what are you going to do? Not and I think, I think what I, I predict that in Canada, you're going to see some groups like the Canadian Civil Liberties Association is going to come out and they're going to argue that uh, this mandatory vaccines or vaccine passports, that it discriminates disproportionately against certain visible minorities, dark-skinned people, uh, Muslims, blacks, uh, whatever, right? That's what they're going to come out with. And I, I think that's all well and good to point that out. But I think that's missing the big picture. The big picture is that whether you're gay or straight, uh, black or white, you know, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, atheist, whatever, uh, regardless of your personal characteristics, nobody should be pressured into uh, getting themselves injected with an experimental substance that has not been tested previously on humans, except only in the past 12 months, that is proving to have uh, side effects, including death, at a rate far higher than what was ever tolerated with any other vaccine. And to, to, to have that legal discrimination pressure to say that unless you get yourself injected with the experimental substance, you cannot go to a movie theater, you cannot go to a restaurant, you cannot send your kids to school, uh, you cannot go into stores, uh, you can't go into uh, theaters, you can't go into a football stadium, you cannot work. Uh, the Justice Center is being inundated with letters from uh, and emails and requests from people that are being told you, you got to get injected by, you know, given date by September the 15th, you have to be injected or else you're going to lose your job. Oh, uh, I you noticed know, that just, down in the States, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, they, you know, you should let them fire you because then you have a case against them. You know, don't quit. Make them fire you, and then you have uh, some. That's kind good of legal concern. advice. That's is it. This this podcast does not provide legal advice. Oh, but, good. But I think <laughs> so. We're not providing any advice, but but it does stand to reason that if you have been, uh, if somebody else has terminated your employment and said you're fired because you're refusing to get vaccinated. You then have a uh, you then have a cause of action, right? Whereas if you yeah. quit, well, if you quit, you can you can argue constructive dismissal, but that's a little bit uh, well. They, they, that's a little bit loosey goosey. That's harder to prove, right? Constructive constructive dismissal. You have to prove that your working conditions were made so miserable that it was as though you were getting fired, even though technically you were not getting fired. That's harder to prove. Whereas if, if your boss says, you are fired, I'm informing you, your employment is over, you are fired, well, then you've got a, uh, uh, now you've got a wrongful dismissal claim. 
Right. Well, I noticed that one company, at least one, I'm probably sure, I'm guessing there's probably more down in the United States that are doing this now. I think it was Delta Airlines are saying, well, you can continue to work for us unvaccinated. We're just going to take $200 off your check every month to pay an extra insurance premium because you're unvaccinated. So another way I would suggest of effectively constructing dismissal, uh, you know, by by doing that, because I can't recall them doing that for any other illnesses, you know, that uh, spring to mind. Uh, yeah. But governments governments always claim uh, to, to be backed up by science. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, you're probably, many of our listeners are familiar with the term scientific socialism, which is what the communists, when they were in power, they actually talked about scientific socialism like this is this is scientific it's scientifically proven that socialism works and science science and capitalism is a failure and and so yeah. you know we're gonna we're all going to enjoy scientific socialism and uh, certainly uh, the Nazis in Germany talked about the the science of of race and it was not only the Nazis I mean it was the CCF leader in Canada uh, uh, Woodsworth no Tommy Douglas pardon me Tommy Douglas was uh, like many people in his day, were in favor of eugenics and let us oh, scientifically yeah. cool. let's improve the population and make sure that the uh, lesser breeds are not breeding. And kind of, we don't want the the you know racial minority. Margaret Sanger, founder of, of Planned Parenthood, really wanted the black people to have fewer babies. Uh, yeah, and, and this was all scientific in, in and forced sterilizations. Even yeah. well, in Alberta and, and other places, if you were uh, deemed to be mentally defective, you would be sterilized. So you yeah. know, eugenics, and that was considered to be scientific. That was that was standard medicine. That was establishment medicine. Is that we're going to sterilize you uh, in order to help improve the race? We're, we're going to sterilize the defectives, the inferiors. That was presented as science. And, it, mm -hmm. you know, we look at it more objectively now that we're, you know, further ahead in time. Uh, but, but that's the same level of science we're dealing with right now is, you know, the science of vaccine passports. Well, there isn't any. There's as much science to back this up uh, as there was science to back up uh, the uh, Tommy Douglas and eugenics and the, the theories of uh, superior races and inferior races, all of which at that time was held out to be, uh, this is scientific. It's scientific that, you know, whites and blacks and Asians and this and that and these different characteristics. And that, that was considered to be cutting edge science. And It was uh, up until what happened. Oh, yeah, the Holocaust. And, well, then it, and then, Yeah, then it kind of fell out of favor amongst uh, the elites for a while and uh maybe it's back now i'm not sure however you know the whole uh the whole idea of the passport as opposed to uh natural immunity that uh that really isn't being discussed very much except uh in that study that came out of uh, israel i don't know if you saw that where it said that uh most of the vaccinated most of the vaccinated uh or there, there are many patients in israeli hospitals that are fully vaccinated that are in the hospitals now with covid right yeah but they also came out with a uh the headline was something like uh, natural immunity is 13 times stronger than the vaccine. So you and longer much, lasting. Yeah. And longer lasting, obviously, if they're talking about booster shots, already, booster yeah, shots. So yeah, we'll be boostering ourselves forever. Every four months, you got to get another booster shot. Ah, oh. 
Yeah, it's, the best quip I heard about that is you've you've taken you've taken the shot. Guess what you've done? You've now turned your immunity system into a subscription service. <laughs> oh no, that's scary. Yeah, scary. it is. I mean, it's witty, but yeah, it's pretty scary. But and you know what, what they've done with with the mRNA. Uh, once you put it into your body, it ain't ever coming out again, right? Once you inject some, once you inject something into your body, you can't uninjected and it goes everywhere yeah i don't really understand i've heard lots of things uh terrible things about it especially with all the horror stories that have come out about uh, the people that have suffered adverse effects uh one thing that we do know is that the adverse effects far outstrip as you had mentioned earlier far outstrip uh, any other vaccine or medication that uh has uh received approval usually it would if they had this it would have been withdrawn a long time ago Yet we seem to many doctors have said that that the rate, even, even though even though the raw numbers are still you know the rate of death from the the COVID vaccine is low you know mm. it's probably less less than one percent but the rate of death uh, and and other harms that we're seeing here would have caused other vaccines to be withdrawn immediately. Mm. We still have the suppression of. Uh, uh, information about ivermectin and vitamin D as uh, cures or you know partial cures, mitigating therapies. therapies. Yeah. Uh, no justification for that with all the uh, peer-reviewed studies that are out there on vitamin D and uh, and ivermectin. Yeah, that's that's still shocking to me. I, I don't understand, and uh, we don't seem to be hearing much about it here in Canada as well. You know, again, even though they're talking about it all over the world. You know, we don't hear about it here. It's just taboo topic. It's either vaccine passports or nothing. Vaccine passports or, nothing. or lockdowns. Or lockdowns. Yeah. And just yeah. previously it was like lockdowns or nothing. Like this is the only, you know, this brand new experiment never tried before in human history. I'm referring to lockdowns. Uh, never mm -hmm. tried before in, in human history. Uh, previously, the idea was to, to segregate the sick, uh, not to lock down yeah. the entire healthy population and it was also to the idea was you know protect the vulnerable let let the virus rage through and let, let all the 20 30 40 50 year olds 60 year olds uh, you know get the virus some people get sick some people don't get sick get the herd immunity and then you can go visit grandma and grandpa in a nursing home and the virus is pretty much you know it's not spreading anywhere anymore that would normal been, you know, back to normal. But no, 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 no. We had the lockdowns as somehow the only uh, uh, solution. And then we had the trotting out uh, propaganda by government and media that this is scientific. And it's utterly unscientific when you've got an experiment that's never been tried before and you're declaring it uh, before, during and after you declare it to be a complete success. Yeah. That's the antithesis of science. An experiment is hey, let's try this, and we're not committed to any outcome. We're just going to see what happens, and we're going to see if it works out well or not. That would be a proper scientific attitude towards lockdowns. Mm -hmm. right? It would have been said, well, never been tried before. We're going to try it. Uh, it might succeed beyond our wildest dreams. It might be an abject failure. We're going to try it. Let's see what happens. That would have been a scientific approach. But no, we had governments ducking and, and, and even refusing to do a comprehensive, proper cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. No excuse for that. No excuse for not doing 
a proper cost-benefit analysis when you consider the hundreds of thousands of government employees that, that are there that, that can work on doing a proper cost-benefit analysis of lockdown policies. Not a single province in Canada has done a proper cost-benefit analysis. What they've done instead, every provincial government and the federal government, is just a steady stream of propaganda that lockdowns are good. And, and oh, except well now, now in order to in order to uh, get people to 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 get themselves injected with the experimental substance, they kind of say, "What? Well, well, we don't like lockdowns. You don't want them back, so now get the vaccine." Right. That's the only propaganda. Solution. Propaganda. Propaganda. Astounding propaganda. By the way, I was going to ask you. I know you just got back today, pretty much. So I'm not going to say, "Okay, give us an update on the Alberta case," because we've been waiting for them to present evidence for like forever. Uh, so hopefully next time you'll be able to come to us and tell us what are they doing with the evidence? Are they going to tell us what they used for evidence ever? Because uh, we would definitely like to see it. So uh, we'll bring an update on the on the Alberta case um, uh, in, in a future podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, when we're talking about these convenience cards in the future, convenience. <laughs> well, some of the stories are heartbreaking. I got a call yesterday from a friend of mine in Calgary, and he has a son who is about 20 years old, young man, football scholarship at the University of Calgary, and um, uh, it has been told he cannot, he has to get vaccinated or else he cannot play football. And it just, what a horrific situation to put a young person into. Uh, just terrible. And another case, a lawyer that I know in Edmonton was approached by a family and they have uh, kids that are really, really good at hockey. And there is a junior league, the title of which I've forgotten, but it's kind of a farm team for the NHL. So it's, it's a junior hockey league for young players in the, you know, 18 to early 20s age group. If you want to get into the NHL, the National Hockey League, you have to get into this pre-NHL league because that's where you're going to get noticed and discovered. So this young man, 18-ish, has been a phenomenal, fantastic, over-the-top hockey player his whole life, wants to play professionally in the NHL, and has been told he cannot get into this pre-NHL league unless he gets the vaccine. I mean, what intense pressure on a young person and so many stories, colleges and universities where you cannot attend classes unless you are vaccinated. So that it, it used to be the, the lockdowns were harming people generally and across the board, but it wasn't really one targeted audience. Well, that's not, it was, it was a loosely targeted audience. If you're a private sector, uh, private sector and not able to work from behind a computer screen, mm. that was kind of the victim group of the lockdowns. If you were, uh, you know, a policeman, teacher, uh, firefighter, what have you know, anything, uh, provincial government employee, federal municipal government employee, any public sector job, or if you could do your work from behind a computer screen as maybe a lawyer, an accountant, lots of other jobs, you were not as hurt. But lockdowns really hurt the um, people if you were not public sector and not able to do close to 100% of your job from behind a computer screen. 
but now the vaccine passports, it, it's it's uh, the target of discrimination is shifting away to anybody who will not get injected with an experimental substance. Sure, but they actually flipped the script there too because they are targeting you know schools and they are targeting police, that type of thing. In fact, while well, down in the United States, there's a couple of police associations that are fighting against the mandatory vaccine. Uh, I think one of the organizations is the Chicago police of any of all people, you know, they are actually fighting the mandatory vaccine. So we're seeing some pushback from there as well. You know, I just want to see what the Canadian unions do, because what I'm hearing anecdotally is that the majority of Canadian unions are not fighting up and not standing up for their members on this, Mm -hmm. but we can uh, delve into that more. I need to look at that more and see how it breaks down. I mean, maybe there are some Canadian unions uh, that are actually, advocating for their members on mm-hmm. this. Yeah, right. Well, uh, in Saskatchewan, the Teachers Association or Federation of Saskatchewan Teachers or, was in favor of, um, uh, you know, get this vaccine out as much as possible because we got to keep everybody safe. Right, yeah. And again, just utterly, utterly devoid of any scientific thinking. When you consider that asymptomatic people are not big spreaders in the first place, that's been established by... Uh, Dr. Uh, J. Bhattacharya, who submitted an expert report in our uh, Manitoba court action, uh, and, and other scientists and, and doctors. So asymptomatic people are not big spreaders in the first place. Right. But then second, second of all, there, there's no distinction between the, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated when it does come to the spread of the virus. So right. totally, utterly devoid of any science. This is again, this is on par with hatred for uh, sexual minority, religious minority, racial minority. If you think those things are not scientific, well, the discrimination against the unvaccinated is as unscientific as discrimination uh, directed against racial, religious, uh, sexual, or other minorities. Right. Well, I guess that kind of begs the question, you know, how do we fight this uh, from a justice center point of view? Do we have to wait for a case where somebody gets fired or uh, what exactly has to happen here for for this to get engaged in a uh, justice center action? We are currently busy recruiting uh, medical experts uh, because you know, these are big, expensive court actions that, mm. that medical reports typically, you know, these people... Uh, typically, medical expert will, will charge $200, $400, $600 an hour for their time. And that's just reality. You can argue that, you know, ideally it ought not to be that way. But uh, the fact is, it, it is. Mm-hmm. So we are looking in particular at uh, court actions involving um, non-university colleges uh, right. because the charter does apply to colleges. Right, yeah. And so this, we've got unlawful, unlawful discrimination uh, and, and violation. The, the Charter Section 7 right in the Morgenthaler decision and in numerous other decisions, the Charter Section 7 right has been clearly interpreted as encompassing, encompassing bodily autonomy and bodily integrity. Morgenthaler, is that my body, my choice type thing? You know, the the Charter Section 7 right to security the person was... Morgenthaler, by the way, is quite a... It's a very muddled decision. Uh, It's not that hard to find 
online if you want to read it. Right, yeah. uh, the source I use most often is a Canadian Legal Information Institute. And you just click on there and you go to English and you go to Supreme Court and you type in Morgenthaler. You get the decision. It's not super long. You could read it in less than an hour. There's three separate judgments and they're all over the place. Um, certainly, it was not a Roe v. Wade. Okay. Uh, did not say that there was some, you know, clear constitutional right to abortion that does not exist. Uh, the court was unanimous in saying that Parliament has a right to legislate to protect the uh, the unborn child. That was unequivocal in that decision. And then it takes kind of a mushy approach that seems to suggest that uh, the older you get, the further away you move from conception the more human you become and the more human rights that you acquire. And of course there are people, people will agree or disagree, but that's kind of, it's a gestational approach that, that suggests okay. that the further you are away from conception and the closer you are to birth, uh, the more that the unborn child has a right to life. Right. And, and the closer you are to conception, the less of a right to life that you have. That seems to be what the Supreme court is, is uh, suggesting in Morgenthaler. If I'm to synthesize the three separate judgments. You're just supposed to say, oh, that was funny, Kevin, because I just made a quip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my body, my choice. That's my all body, I was saying. My body, my choice. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. You okay, could okay, say, okay, you could, gonna... no, no, no. But you, well, you, you, could, you could say that the Morgenthaler decision provides some support to the slogan, my body, my choice. Okay. Qualified right. support. You could You could say that. All right. So we have the Supreme Court decisions in Rodriguez and in uh, Carter more recently, where the uh, Section 7 right to life, liberty, and security of the person is asserted in the face of uh, criminal code restrictions on uh, assisting somebody to with, with their suicide, right? So anyway, all of that to say, the Supreme Court of Canada and, and other courts have been very clear on... Charter Section 7 right to life, liberty, and security of the person very clearly encompasses a right to bodily autonomy. It's definitely mm. there as a charter right, which means that governments cannot violate your bodily autonomy unless uh, they have sufficient rationale. And I would just do a quick recap. Sufficient rationale, in my view, would be if we were dealing with the Spanish flu of 1918 or Ebola or the bubonic plague or something that was really truly a serious killer. That would be one thing the government would need to prove. And secondly, that the vaccine is truly effective. We don't know that yet. Uh, you know, we'll see three years from now when you're getting your 17th booster in respect of your fourth virus, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't we don't know how effective it is. We don't know how safe it is. We're going to be seeing uh, long-term consequences we will not see until years from now. What kind of impact this mRNA vaccine will have had on people? Uh, so the government would need to prove it's it's a really serious, deadly virus, that the vaccines are effective, that the vaccines are safe, and they're actually doing more good than harm. They would have to prove that the uh, unvaccinated are dangerous spreaders compared to the vaccinated. These are all the things that a government would have to prove in court and uh, a fair and objective impartial judge would look at the evidence and see whether the government made its case. 
If you had a, a frightened Kool-Aid drinking judge who accepted everything on the six o'clock news as gospel truth, you would have a hard time in court if you if your case was put before that kind of a judge who's already decided in his or her mind that the government must be on the right track because after all the government says so itself and you know mm-hmm. governments never lie, right? Ah. Uh. They yes, wouldn't lie. Right. They wouldn't mm-hmm. lie about a public health crisis. I mean, they might lie about other things, right? But but no government would ever lie about a public health crisis. Of course not. Let's get real. And sarcasm. Now, sorry. Sarcasm off. I was waiting yes. for you to say okay. that. That, okay, that was sarcasm. You. Yes. Oh, yeah. I know. Just for I clarification. Okay. I got to stick this in before uh, before we uh, sign off. Even though we're we got you know we got about ten minutes left before we hit our hour. Um, the best protests that I've seen against the vaccine passports, uh, you've seen probably a few of them. I sent you a link to this one. This was uh, posted on Twitter, and it was in France. And uh, what it was was a bunch of people sitting in the street between bars and restaurants that were empty, the bars and restaurants imposing the vaccine passport. So everybody just took their families out, sat down in the middle of the street, and had picnics. <laughs> just Wow. Just, Did that also prevent the vaccinated from going into those no, no, bars and no, restaurants? No, it didn't prevent them, but it just basically, you know, you can sit there and enforce your vaccine passport, and we're going to sit here and eat our food. You know, it's like uh, no outside that's food. That's the way brother. to do it. Huh? Right. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. It was brilliant. Those French, pretty clever protesters they are. So it's pretty good stuff out of them. So, I mean, this is like this is like so many other situations, right? It it takes great courage to stand up against the the tide and you know there are people uh cases i know of personally where friends have told me you know about their own situation or situations of their friends where people are going to lose their jobs uh young people whose whole careers are ended young people that cannot attend class because now the universities have said Yes, we're going to open up classes again, but only for the vaccinated. So if you're not vaccinated, then you know you have to be tested five times a week or something crazy. And if they're still using those stupid unscientific PCR tests, it's kind of a ridiculous, redundant requirement in any in any event because the the PCR tests, um, PCR politically correct rubbish. Yeah. PCR, yeah. Um, the the PCR numbers are meaningless in any event, uh, but even if they were even even if they were scientifically uh, valid method of of diagnosing COVID, again that's that's just very punitive and discriminatory to force somebody mm-hmm. to to get that test over and over and over again every day. It's completely unacceptable. Yeah, but. As so we I need people it, to stand up. We need people to stand up to it because what happened, like federal banks, for example, and they must have coordinated this because all the federal banks in Canada, they all announced on the same day that all of their employees need to be vaccinated, and yet we know. Okay, apparently, roughly twenty percent of Canadians are not vaccinated. Are you if suggesting 20- we have an uncompetitive banking system in Canada? Well, <laughs> sorry. It's a you good know, if, thing if, the 20, yeah. if the twenty percent of Canadians that are not vaccinated, if they all stood up together, I think it would be hard pressed for the banks or any other employer to fire twenty percent of their own employees. Uh, most oh, yeah. employers, well, we're seeing most employers cannot afford to suddenly lose one fifth of their own workforce. They, it would. I don't care what kind of business you have. It would throw if if one fifth of your people leave all of a sudden. 
Yeah. Uh, it's going to throw your business into significant disruption. Yeah, we're seeing anecdotal stories like that in social media already, you know, where companies have threatened. I've seen stories about where, like, a dentist has threatened his staff, her staff with firing people that, uh, you know, would not get the shot. And so, you know, maybe 50% of them say, okay, well, that's it. I've lost my job. And then when they realize that they're going to have to operate without all this staff, they suddenly backtrack. So, you know, I mean, we're hearing stories like that all the time. You put up some resistance and, uh, you know, they're not wedded to it. I think they're probably not wedded to it because they are starting to recognize that maybe it doesn't work. And that's the the benefit of them dragging this out is, you know, they, the people that advocate these things, the governments, the mainstream media, they're looking more and more ridiculous by the day. I know that uh, they still have the hammer, but, you know, we have that going for us, those who will oppose uh, these draconian measures. So, Kevin, it is so good to be back in conversation with you, and I am just absolutely thrilled to be back at work at the Justice Center, and uh, we are going to move ahead as uh, powerfully, as strongly as possible. Um, we're going to be advertising. By the way, we are still looking to hire more lawyers, more paralegals. Uh, we've also had notice from our um, from our office manager. We need that uh, that she's going to be leaving, so we need to hire a new office manager. So, if you want to work as a lawyer or paralegal or office manager or administrative assistant, uh, send your resumes to uh, to the Justice Center online. Uh, info at jccf.ca would probably be just fine, and uh, your resume will be sent off to the right place. So uh, we need more freedom warriors to uh, come and work with us and fight for justice. Okay, amen to that. All right, well, that's great. I think with that, we'll call an end to episode 28 of Justice with John Carpe. Great to have you back. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks, Kevin.